0: Warning. The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher, university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. Welcome to the show. I am your host, LB Moniz, and this is a portion of episode 87. 87 was recorded on October 24th, 2023, entitled The American Cult Gets a Hard Reset. What you're about to listen to is one of six installments where I do my best to walk through the complicated nature of the Israel-Palestine conflict in such a way to remove as much of the emotional baggage as we possibly can. I broke this episode out into six episodes for you guys on the free stream. Of course, if you want immediate access to the full two-hour stream, all you have to do is become a member of the Been Awake Elite. It's $50 a year. Buy me dinner. You get full access to this. You don't have to wait. Uh, These are all going to be released over a course of two weeks. Let me just give you a quick rundown of what everything is going to look like, and then you guys can get into the episode. The first episode, 87.1, is pre-knowledge about Israel-Palestine. This, in this episode, I'm going to take you, down, take, you, take you down the road of a piece I wrote about a concept called pre-knowledge. <clears throat> I think this is something we all struggle with or suffer from or just frankly something that is in the modern day and maybe always was, but it's more pronounced in the, in the digital media age. So you're going to learn more about pre-knowledge and how that relates to the Israel-Palestinian conflict. 87.2 is about the post-World War II order and Israel's independence. We're actually going to read... The together, the Declaration of Independence from the is from the Israeli from the early Israelis, and we're going to kind of talk about some of the historical context that is lost, um, lost and purposefully forgotten, I would say, in regarding the founding of Israel. Eighty-seven point three, how religion dictates Middle East politics. We're going to take a closer look. At Zionism and we're going to take a closer look at Islamism and we're going to talk about how how religion is really what's shaping Middle East politics not some grand lofty secular notions as we might think here in the West. 87.4 when media figures cry out for blood we're going to take a look at some of the response especially from The Daily Wire's Ben Shapiro who despite popularizing the phrase facts don't care about your feelings sure seems to feel a lot about this conflict going on. Eighty seven point five are Israel and Hamas friends. We're going to take a look at a piece from 2009, the last time there was a major conflict between Gaza and, and between Gaza, Israel, Hamas, whatever. We are take a look back then and we're going to show how, in many ways, Israel either allowed Hamas to become the, the terrorist organization it is today or perhaps even encouraged it to become more militant and more violent. And then finally, we're going to wrap things up. We're going to analyze a dust-up between Austin Peterson and Dave Smith, and then we're going to go through some fun different things. We're going to cover the speaker's race, which, of course, if you're listening to this now, has already ended. Um, We're also going to talk about some fun things, including how maybe fat people should have better access in hotels. Listen, if you would do me the favor, make sure you're subscribed to beenawake.com. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. But there was a recent dust-up between two people I'm quite fond of first being austin peterson the second being dave smith now austin peterson if you don't know he's got a radio show dave smith is a popular podcast austin peterson is both and both have been around this liberty movement thing for a long time i've had the pleasure of meeting both guys not that either of them would remember i did have dinner with austin once and he was actually the one who introduced me to the jewel back when i still vaped so i guess i have him to thank for that but I thought, it was a, I thought there was a very interesting exchange between the two of them that I'd like to, we just can, we're just going to kind of break down and go over here. So Austin tweets out, and, it, and again, it fought, what, what's interesting about this is that even in the libertarian circles, we fall along the fault lines in the cults of American democracy. He tweets or posts on X. I've been in the libertarian movement for going on 15 years now. And Austin Peterson ran for president for the Libertarian Party for what it's worth. I've come to the conclusion that many Libertarians hate the U.S. more than they love freedom. That's why you get this reflexive anti-U.S. and by extension anti-Israel narrative so often. And why so many of them buy into 9-11 truth or narratives at home with Black Lives Matter and Rashida talib like types. I have thought for a while that it's likely that some of them are actually being manipulated or directly paid by foreign powers But then there are the useful idiots. The few who are objective and can see the faults in every government are few and far between. Remember our conversation on pre-knowledge because it's kind of how it's kind of how X works. It's how Twitter works. No matter what you do, you're reading your own biases into a post like this. So Austin Peterson kind of throws in the thing at the end about being paid for by foreign governments And Dave Smith, who is a very prominent anti-war voice, says, Or maybe we're not paid for in essence or useful idiots, but just people who recognize the wisdom of non-interventionism. Perhaps we notice that U.S. interventionism has been an unmitigated disaster and the greatest purveyor of violence in the world over the last two decades. Perhaps we recognize these decisions are not made by a wise political class that has our nation's best interest or humanities in mind, but rather a network of crony companies that would kill 100,000 children to increase profits and not think twice about it. What Austin says to that is that you, being those libertarians, give themselves way too much credit, to be honest. Plenty of you are shills for foreign regimes, paid or not, justifying interventionism when Putin does it. If you're not getting paid for it, then that's useful idiot idiot territory for certain. And I'm not advocating for U.S. interventionism. I'm simply stating that the retardation of the U.S. libertarian movement on foreign policy has a lot to do with the outsourcing of policy views to 9-11 truthers and anarchists who claim there's some moral equivalency between the U.S. and Russia or China or Israel and Hamas. To which Dave says, this is just a list of buzzwords and straw men. the fact is that non-interventionist libertarians have the absolute best track record on foreign policy. And he says, speaking of straw men, when did I say non-intervention was the wrong idea? I'm agreeing with you there. You're ignoring my point on moral equivalencies and calling them buzzwords because you don't want to engage with my argument. It's intellectually lazy like saying, I'm just anti-war, man. That's hippie shit. As you can see, I did like that tweet. Because despite the fact that I don't think that most of the wars, if not all the wars of the 21st century, have been justified, per se. I also understand how quickly most people justify them. And I'm starting to see a problem with the anti-war position. It's the same with any ideologically held position, which is when, most, when people come looking to you for answers, they already know the side you're on. And when people are emotionally invested, rational arguments don't change their minds. And that can be very frustrating, right? And that's why I'm trying to do the show the way I am here. Just kind of having, just hashing out the complicated nature of this with you. Despite the fact that I've learned a lot from people who would call themselves libertarians libertarian anarchists of one kind or another i do think there's a folly in anarchism i think it's a democratic trap i think it's just one more answer to the question of how how best to rule and under a democracy and i know people would disagree and maybe we can have an interesting conversation around that someday I've tweeted before that Twitter, now X, is in-group signaling the out-group Cs. Now, I follow both of these creators well enough to know that both of them tend to have the same actual opinions on policy prescriptions. I, I, it just, that's just the way things fall out. I don't, think they've, I don't think they've hashed it out yet, but they might have a conversation soon. And what when that happens, you're going to see a lot of back and forth of them agreeing with each other, but really disagreeing not over the substance of the argument, but the framing of it. And that's what we talk about here. Because it is the case that if you don't necessarily side with Hamas, but also don't necessarily think the Israeli government has been acting above board, that you kind of are on the side of the people, if you consider yourself a person of the right or a conservative, you normally disagree with. And politics, the struggle for power doesn't care about who's right. cares about who wins. And what I think we see here in this exchange between Austin Peterson and Dave Smith, again, both people whom I respect as broadcasters, and con- you know this amalgam of content creators—they're both nice guys, from what I can tell. What we see here is actually an argument over the framing: is it a reflexive—the U.S. has been screwing things up for a long time, which yeah can get annoying, despite the veracity of that opinion. Or are you, or are you, you know, trying to whitewash a genocide in real time? I'm not going to say the truth lies in the middle. But I think there I think I've laid out pretty well for you an explanation of what the problem is and how even people from a similar background disagree. So what should we do? Well, if it was up to me, if I could wield the if I could wield the might of the US military and economy tomorrow, I would say three things. first, no more money. all payments, all direct government payments from the United States government to either the PLO the PLO or the PLA or the PLA, whatever to Palestine and/ or Israel shall, shall henceforward cease. I'll do the same thing for Ukraine for the record, but there, no more money. second. All international shipping will be assured. So whether things are coming in and out of Israel or other parts of the Middle East and the Mediterranean, that's what the Navy's there to do. Third, when the bullets run out, we'll talk. Come to the table. Putin's called for peace. I hate the fact that that Austin Peterson is accusing people of working with us to say Putin's called for peace. Putin called, but so did the Pope. See, other people in this, other a lot of people are calling for peace. In fact, most people are calling for peace because it's the right answer. Most people are calling for peace. So that's what I'd do for what it's worth. I think that'd actually be something that both Dave Smith and Austin Peterson would agree with. So where, what is the difference between this? Well, some of it, like I said, is that anarchist angle. It's the conflation with the bad actions of a government to all actions by government are bad, which is actually an untenable position, but rhetorically it's useful. And it is the standard for a lot of people, but it limits you. And it limits you because it's not, it's not how most people interpret the world. So which dead kid proves your point, America? <laughs> Man, that was, at least by my watch, an hour and a half. So that's going to get cut up uh, pretty, pretty crazy. All right. I'm going to switch gears here. I'm actually going to take a quick break if you're listening live to just grab a quick drink of water that I didn't bring into the room with me. So I will be right back. All right. Sorry about that. Oh, man. So next part of the show, if you're listening live, we're just going to go through every pretty much everything else that's happened since my last live stream. Um, we're going to have some fun. All right. Let's see here. So <laughs> that was funny. So we're going to just kind of, so a lot of this is going to be kind of a potpourri react and we're going to be tying some stuff together and I'm going to do my best to keep the dumbest stuff for last. <laughs> we got some goodies in here, by the way, but we're going to try and keep the dumbest stuff for last. Why? Because that's kind of what, you know, you got to have some kind of a theme to a show and that's going to be a useful way to end the segment. So we're not going to do this one. But we are going to do this one. So, as of right now, as as of my recording this, the U.S. House is locked within the struggle for a new speaker because of this guy.
1: Mr. Speaker, my friend from Oklahoma says that my colleagues and I who don't support Kevin McCarthy would plunge the House and the country into chaos. Chaos is Speaker McCarthy. Chaos is somebody who we cannot trust with their word. The one thing that the White House, House Democrats, and many of us on the conservative side of the Republican caucus would argue is that the thing we have in common, Kevin McCarthy said something to all of us at one point or another that he didn't really mean and never intended to live up to. I don't think voting against Kevin McCarthy is chaos. I think $33 trillion in debt is chaos. I think that facing a $2.2 trillion annual deficit is chaos. I think that not passing single-subject spending bills is chaos. I think the fact that we have been governed in this country since the mid-90s by continuing resolution and omnibus is chaos. And the way to liberate ourselves from that is a series of reforms to this body that I would hope would outlast speaker mccarthy's time here would outlast my time here and would outlast either of our majorities reforms that i have heard some of the most conservative members of this body fight for and some of the reforms that we've been battling for that i've even heard those in the democrat caucus say would be worthy and helpful to the house like open amendments like understanding what the budget is we have been out of compliance with budget laws for most of my life, most of many of your lives. And by the way, if we did those things, if we had single-subject bills, if we had an understanding on the top line, if we had open amendments, if we had trust and honesty and understanding, there would be times when my conservative colleagues and I would lose. Might be a few times when we'd win. There'd be times that we would form partnerships that might otherwise not be Uh, really predictable in the American body politic, but the American people would see us legislating. These last few days, we've suspended the momentum that we had established the week earlier, where we were bringing bills to the floor, voting on them, staying late at night, working hard. That's what the American people expect. It's something Speaker McCarthy hasn't delivered, and that's why I've moved to vacate the chair. I reserve.
0: Pretty big news. I think for the first time in forever, a U.S. Speaker of the House has been vacated, right? Kevin McCarthy is no, he's, McCarthy. He's no longer the Speaker of the House because of Matt Gates, kind of held him to his word. If you, if you, depending on which side you take, I don't think it's a shock that this happens to the Republican Party. And frankly, I talked a little bit about, I talked a little bit more about this on a recent episode with Tommy Sammons on his Year Zero podcast. That's going to be coming out soon. So we talk a little bit about this topic on there, but what I'll say in short to this story is, let's see, right? That's really the position you should have. I think you should welcome this kind of a change and this kind of a shakeup. It's the kind of thing that, as he said there, and perhaps in the greatest, perhaps in uh, with a sense of wishfulness, that there could be some sort of regular order restored to the house, which could actually bring some transparency to government which despite the things i think about the federal government would still be nice to see. You know that, right? If you've listened to the show long enough, you know that. That the government doesn't operate the way it said it does on the school of rock. I'm just a bill. Yes, i'm only a bill. And it, no, it's not how it works. Especially not since the biggest especially not since the dawn of the terror wars. Pretty much the entire 21st century. There's not been what was, what was called regular order in the House. And what you're witnessing are the power factions fighting against each other between the more corporate and populist elements. What I said will be interesting to see is to what extent the, Democrat, the more populist amongst the Democrats are actually willing to reach across the aisle. Because if I'm being honest, I don't see them doing it for long i think i think they did it pragmatically i don't see them doing it for much longer or for actually standing by matt gates and if they could they'd pull the roll out from under him let's see what are we doing next here's an interesting thread we're not even you know it's funny i i actually i will say threading your tweets used to kind of be the thing you had to put you had to number them all that I do like that with Twitter blue, you can just post an article and people can open it up and read it. So I wanted to, I had, I'd save this. So I think it's worth talking about because this is something written by Sargon of Akkad, and I like to look more, he's a very popular influential person in the quote unquote, nationalist right wing space. Again, in the broadest sense of that term. Oh, look, there's our space here on the side of the screen. So Carl Benjamin says why I think we're fucked. So let's read this and then we'll talk. The West is experienced an ongoing collapse of moral legitimacy. It has been for many years. Many of our elites use support for Israel as a proxy for unambiguous moral good, preventing another holocaust. This is why our elites general, are generally leaping to near-genocidal geno- support of Israel over Palestine. However, support for Israel is actually not that unambiguous due to the power that it exerts over Palestine— and this greatly complicates the moral equation. This would normally preclude full throated support for any cause, but in the special case of Israel, our elites are completely captured and, in a sense, view themselves, at least project the attitude, of fighting the new Nazis and preventing another genocide. This full throated support in favor of an unambiguous cause naturally creates a large constituency who recognizes the inherent unfairness in only one side being properly represented in political discussion, especially when it appears that the people this constituency views itself as fit defending is facing an impending bloodbath. I would guess that this is radicalizing the Islamic world and shows it, shows us to be, in their view, morally backwards and worthy of fighting, more worthy, in fact, of fighting one another. The main problem this presents to the current Western American world order is that it is predicated on consent, The West claims to be to desire a peaceful and stable world in which human rights are protected and nations may prosper as long as they respect certain rules. The implication that underpins the legitimacy of said rules is that they are fair and any party should be able to find adequate redress given any wrongs done to them. When it is demonstrated that the rule of human rights is actually a fiction that is used to keep the rest of the world quiet, then this system comes to an end. The erosion of this system has, of course, been happening for many years now. Various pretexts have been used many times to justify a breach of the doctrine of human rights, and this has been grudgingly accepted because the benefits of the Western world order have outweighed the damage done by these exercises of power disguised as moral crusades. However... We have arrived at a position where, in fact, the United States has been economically attacking other states after deliberately and systematically attempting to erode their standing in the world based on our own perceived moral superiority. This has created a massive upset in the global economic order and forced the disparate opponents of the West into an economic coalition with with one another whilst massively weakening America's allies. The short-sightedness of this could surely not be overstated as the planned to judo flip the various economies of the opposition to bring them to their knees simply hasn't worked. It has been decades for some of these regimes, and they still persist, and have been laying the groundwork for a parallel world economy. Needless to say, as the world's largest economic hegemon, the United States can't allow this to happen. However, it seems that it is happening, and it probably can't be stopped at this point. I think this really is why the political class is gripped with war fever over a tiny terrorist-run strip of land he's not right he's not completely wrong about that but i do think his prescription so far is very well said it isn't that there is an existential threat to israel from gaza it is that we are looking at the potential to set off a chain of events that shows the west to not have the moral legitimacy it claims to have which will unravel its own political alliances and put all its enemies into righteous coalition against us whilst destroying the global economic system and throwing everything into chaos the west will need to fight or the western elites will lose everything at this point i think a war is inevitable i think it's very interesting to think that because even because someone like a sargon of Akkad, or who's now who now goes by his given name of carl benjamin was for you know was not was not steeped was not steeped in um was not steeped in political thought right and certainly not in the edges of it. let's see so I don't know i guess I guess I just wanted to read that Diane Feinstein died if you didn't know <laughs> uh long you know she had been in Congress for a while a great example, a great reminder of why in 10 years you got to remember that sometimes you have to take a longer time scale a lot of these people are going to uh a lot of these people are going to die off in the next 10 years so the question is who's going to replace them if you didn't know bernie sanders got some code pink people arrested out in front of his house and before he was standing up in front of the uh you know in full support of the israeli regime eric adams did visit ecuador to talk about the migrant crisis and it's it is worth noting that the migrant crisis had gotten to such a fever pitch that that you that the mayor of new york city decided he was going to do a publicity tour to talk about it and to go investigate what was happening as if people didn't know what was going on and he decide and and now we're now all we're talking about is israel gaza Israel, Gaza, Israel, Gaza. Hmm. I wonder why that is. That's one we're saving for later. Let's see. All right. So they turned off the electricity. AOC was talking. Let's see. Oh, man. I got a lot of Israel stuff here. I guess we'll just keep going with the Israel stuff. Nah. I get bored. Not bored. It's just we've covered a lot of this. All right. Dying, Feinstein. Dying... Oh, this was a good one. So do you guys remember this?
2: Outrage and the pearl clutching about this. Little collection of things that Donald Trump and high-ranking Republicans call liberals on a daily basis. Anarchists, anti-American, deranged, communists, corrupt, compromised, groomers and perverts, thugs and traitors. Now, she was explicit that she was talking about a subsection of the Republican Party the same way that Joe Biden is when he talks about this MAGA extremism. But you tell me, if the leader of the Democratic Party, so that would be Joe Biden, was facing four indictments with 91 felony counts, he had been found liable of sexually assaulting a woman and defaming her, that's E. Jean Carroll, guilty of fraud. Sharing the nation's secrets, not only in the Mar-a-Lago indictment, but there was a report yesterday from ABC News. It is funny to me when, when I watch these things, it's like, you know, three subs
0: and- people get Okay, so this was, I controls. thought they played the Hillary, Hillary see those Clinton interviews of clip Trump- in this. So Hillary Clinton did come out and say that she wanted, that, she said that like Trump supporters would need reprogramming, which is pretty funny. Um, let's see here. That'll we're going to save. Oh. I wanted to cover this really quick. So if you guys like SPF, you know, that whole like big thing, crypto exchange thing is going on right now. And that's pretty crazy. Um, I think we're just going to kind of scroll up. We're going to do the fun videos and we're going to wrap because I am starting to lose a little bit of steam. Oh, where are the good ones? Oh, but before we do that, we got to do this one. Y'all remember this, right? If you didn't see.
3: Speech received at least a dozen standing
0: ovations.
3: speech received at least a dozen standing ovations. There is was like- also one for this man, a 98-year-old Ukrainian Canadian who fought for Ukrainian independence against the Russians during the Second World War.
0: You caught that, right? I know the story's old, but we but this is this is how you do things. Let's listen to that again.
3: There was also
0: speaking, one for this man, guy,
3: a, 98-year-old a 98 year old Ukrainian Canadian who fought for Ukrainian independence against the Russians.
0: Against the Russians? Well, hang on.
3: During the Second World War.
0: That was broadcast on Canadian TV. Don't forget that the Canadians have their own state media. and uh from this guy simona teba who i love he's a great follow he says massive outrage after canada's parliament gave a standing ovation during zelensky's joint address joint address on friday to yaroslav Hunka, a 98 year old ukrainian nazi collaborator who served in a nazi military unit during the second world war implicated in the mass murder of jews and others oh isn't it funny and a great reminder at how complicated these situations really are. Let's see. What's the next one here? It, it's like with the whole, with, with that thing, it's kind of like it was one of those things I wanted to happen. It was so delicious just because of how people used it. Right. And not only that, like, and and like the fact that it's a great signal of the times we live in, Right. And the reason why it's a great signal of the times we live in is precisely because it shows how that that cultural memory is fading and that cultural memory has faded so much. And we live we live amongst a war with Russia currently. Um, we live we live, we, you know, we live during a during a war with Russia currently and through the Ukraine that people have forgotten that they were the allies in World War Two. How crazy is that? Like when you really think about it. Other news, if you didn't, if you happen to miss it, RFK announced that he's exiting the Democratic Party to run as an independent for a can- President of the United States. Here's what that means: nothing, because that me- that officially makes his campaign dead in the water. I think it's completely ridiculous that he did this. Entering third party politics or independent politics is lunacy in this age. And the only legitimacy in my mind that an RFK had in a presidential run was to challenge Biden within the Democratic structure to expose it for the fraud that it is. And now he's trying to take this tack that makes him farther left than Biden on some issues, supporting things like reparations, right after he fired his longtime campaign manager over the Israel-Palestine conflict, at least in part, because they fell on different sides and hired somebody else that I think is related to him and also used to work for the CIA, ironically enough. Funny how those things work. This is, you know, I said in the last stream I did that RFK is kind of a, becoming a, RFK was becoming a symbol of that America that can never exist again, and maybe never existed. And his campaign would have the benefit of showing Democrats the direction they can't go. And this, while this, this changes that, uh, that calculus slightly, it does show the whole point that I was trying to drive at, which it says, you know, this is this is not the kind of opinions that you're supposed to have, including this commitment to American liberalism. Because, you know, it's all about progressivism now. To put things simply. This was I thought was a very interesting tweet that was sent out and this is connected to the Russia or to the israel Is Apparently there's a representative that served in the IDF and now serves in the U.S. Congress. And I don't think you should be able to do that. I think I think Congress should be for Americans, and like only Americans. But you know, that's just my opinion. This was a fun one. So this guy I think is running. For I mean, in terms of conservative your conservative or for he's running for prime minister in Canada. It's a great little great little example of how, a great way to deal with the media. And you remember, you have to remember that the Canadian the Canadian media is like state TV. Really funded um by the government. on
4: the on the topic i mean in terms of your sort of strategy currently you're obviously taking the populist uh, pathway um, what does that mean well a- appealing appealing to people's uh, more emotional levels i would guess um, i mean what certainly you mean certainly that? you certainly you tap certainly you tap uh, very strong ideological
0: so if you don't know this is what it's like to talk to most journalists is they make a lot of assumptions about you and they make assumptions about the things you say, and they basically want to frame the question to get you to answer it.
4: Language quite frequently. Like what?
0: And what he's doing very well in this interview is by pairing and not actually answering any of the questions. And you'll see where he gets him to. Uh,
4: left wing, you know, this and that, right wing, you know, I mean, it's that, that type I almost of ideological talk thing. About, I never really talk about left but or right. Anyways, a lot of I don't pe- really believe in that. Okay. A lot of people would would say that you're simply taking a page out of the Donald Trump, uh, me, like which people would
0: say that? Well, I'm sure and the reason
4: why he doesn't Canadian want to Canadians, say who it's because it's him, who. <laughs> I and don't if you know say, who, but well, uh, you're the one who
0: and rhetorically speaking, if you say, oh, well, this is me saying it, then it doesn't sound as good for the paper, and so you have to say that a lot of other people are saying it. And what you have to understand about this game is that it's not only has this been played on in american politics as well but that most of your favorite republican candidates and and politicians have played this game and like jumped at jumped at it right think about mitt romney's famous binders full of women speech or moment in the debates he was trying so hard to be the guy that everybody wanted him to be
4: Ask the question. So yeah. probably, you must know somebody.
0: <laughs> okay. He gave into their <laughs> I'm delusion. I'm sure there's
4: some out there, but anyways, the, the point say. of this the point of this question is, I mean, why should why should Canadians trust you with their vote, given,
0: you know? So after all of that, he gets them to an actual question. Forget everything I said. All of it was fluff anyway, designed to make you look bad. Why should Canadians vote for you? Common sense. And he goes on and on. He's just sitting there eating the apple. It's a great, just, if you study that, you start to understand how you can actually fight the left, as it were. Let's see. A couple more stories, and then we're just going to... Watch some crazy TikToks. tocks. Um, yeah. U.S. bond, you know, blah, 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 blah. There's I mean, listen, there's a lot in this. Oh, this was something I wanted to talk about. This is a one of those weird things, weird cultural things that goes on right now. So this is uh, let's see. This source on this is a. So so archive papers. So, this is out of Stony Brook University in the USA. Partner, let's zoom in so you can actually see this. So, what they say, what they're claiming, partner has surpassed boyfriend and girlfriend in prevalence within US active user Twitter profile biographies, decomposition of a temporal identity trend. So, to summarize this, in the past decade, partner has overtaken the terms boyfriend and girlfriend on Twitter for one's significant other and if you look here they've got like a little chart that you can see and you can see these things in about 2013 started to diverge (sighs) this is another one of those signs that you should take of the times right and you don't need to and and at the same time you don't you don't need to this doesn't mean that everything's falling Right There's a push towards gender neutrality, which then pushes into queerness, that then makes a lot of people think that partner is the right term. I think the other reason why people think partner is the right term is because so many modern people are devoid from any real spiritual sense of what a relationship means. In part because what we've been told is that the only things that matter about a relationship are the material sense the material things what do i mean by that what is one of the political enfranchisement been o- fight's been over in, in america right gay marriage i can remember i can remember like being 17 18 and very naive about how you approach these kinds of conversations and just openly asking people that i would meet that were gay that support you know what the big deal was with calling it marriage for one and why if you could fix it through legal means i.e you know designate somebody your emergency point of contact so on and so forth why you needed to redefine the idea of marriage altogether because arguably they love each other right so I didn't understand why you needed the government to come in and say that your love was valid. I guess I still don't, but I think if I look at it today, it has to do with that spiritual void. See with my significant other, my girlfriend, there's no question about what I feel for her. And so therefore there's no, it doesn't matter what the government says about our relationship Unfortunately, the government might have a say in how our relationship ends up. But that doesn't change how I feel. Now, yeah, you could say there's social acceptance to that, but that doesn't change, again, just theoretically, if we put ourselves back in the mindset of this debate, why you had to change the basic definition of a tenant like marriage. And so with the decline in religiosity, you also see a decline in this spiritual importance of a relationship. And I think with the prevalence of divorce, a lot of people look at the person across from them and say, well, I guess you'll do for now. And so, in fact, it is a partner that you're seeking and not a boyfriend, not a girlfriend, not somebody who will eventually be a husband and wife. So the antidote to this and the answer to this is to reaffirm that spiritual center. Dare I say the holiness of a sacred union between a man and woman, as it be as as the case may be. And by in so doing, you can re- reassert the order. There's also an element where it's just like the it's just this is also just how language works, right? There are trends. So and this is also a very uh partner. This is actually and, and it's just as a final point before we move on to another story. It's also a very limiting limiting thing from from a setup standpoint. Right? Like this is what they're talking about. They're focusing on partner, boyfriend, and girlfriend. They're not focusing on husband and wife, and there would be overlap between partners who are actually husband and wife and partners that are boyfriend and girlfriend. All that exists within a story like that. But don't but don't get too upset. Because you know, things can still get better. Let's see. I think this was a fun one. So this is actually out of my hometown, not my hometown, but you know, where I live in Chicago. Here's a fun video to watch. If you're not watching the video, I'll describe it. But apparently this happened in Chicago and what you see is an older man wearing an older black man wearing a mask and an older white couple that are just kind of standing in front of what looks like maybe a hotel.
1: And for some reason this guy has decided to talk
0: to the other guy.
1: Yeah. You
0: and they're talking, they're saying, You get the fuck out of here. The wife <laughs> The wife is trying to get in the middle and the, the husband pushes away and then goes for a kick. Break it up! Break it up! Somebody says to break it up and it kind of breaks it up. I don't know, and so I think it's the Uber driver who's saying get away with it. He's trying to get him in there. And then for some reason, this guy just decides to go after the other guy. He goes on and he resoundingly beats, you know, gives the guy up. Now, I don't know. Maybe he said something about the guy's wife. That, would, that wouldn't that would surprise me. You don't really, as with so many of these videos, you never see what leads up to it. And so you can't really, uh, you can't really say anything. Oh, and good news, um, the the vaccination cards are being, phased out and I also saw something that um that was saying that uh in good in good spirits that only three percent of Americans have actually gotten boosted this year. Which is fantastic. Man, there's so many dang articles that I save. It's crazy how much stuff actually happens when you just go between two weeks of a show. All right. I got some fun little videos here that we're gonna wipe this thing out with. We're just gonna kinda react. Just some libs of TikTok stuff to cleanse I've changed
5: the labels. When I saw this headline on Twitter, I was immediately like, that is the most trans thing I have ever read.
0: Uh, So the the headline is that Demi Lovato partially uses she, her pronouns again, because it felt exhausted to have to explain they, them to people.
5: Do you know how many times I've changed a label, stopped using a label, or just don't use a label around certain people or groups? Because I don't feel like being harassed or having to explain myself. I stopped saying I have he, him pronouns to cis strangers because the look of confusion and processing in their eyes was a little too much for me to bear consistently. Introducing myself as non-binary instead of trans mask if I'm wearing a dress or makeup because I don't feel like explaining that. But also telling cis family members to use he, him pronouns for me because I know they don't understand non-binary identities. Calling myself trans mask when I want to connect with other trans mask people about hormones and identities.
0: Congratulations, you've discovered what an in-group is and you're given proof that what this queerness is is really just a subculture
5: but then only going that, by non-binary in opinion, and other spaces to be in the because there's so many queer people that hate trans men and trans masks but are okay with non-binary people. Saying that I'm in a sapphic relationship with my girlfriend when both of us don't like using that label and I consider our relationship that to be lesbian. Oh. And the thing is, I'm not even doing this around cishet people. I'm doing this around other queer people.
0: Because in all things, the ideology must be attained revolutionize the too. travel
3: industry and making a more accessible accepting accommodating place for all the needs of plus-sized travelers matter just as much as anybody else
0: plus size travelers ladies and gentlemen
3: and today i'm going to cover what we are looking for in accessible size inclusive hotel amenities size inclusive hotel amenities are crucial for ensuring that plus size travelers feel welcomed accommodated and comfortable during their stay we deserve an environment that respects our needs and body diversity these are the exact steps that hotels can take to be more size inclusive and accessible for travelers of all sizes number one on the list provide sturdy wider chairs without armrests in guest rooms, lobbies, and
0: areas. <laughs> oh God, I feel so bad. I do feel bad. There's a part of me because I'm not really a great comedian, but I like to point these things, but I like to talk about these things because, well, because they're culturally relevant. And despite the fact that most people think that this is kind of crazy, it's not crazy under the ideology of queerness. And that's why there are so many people that, that look at it. Because remember, part of this is that you always side with the oppressed over the oppressor. And so despite the fact that. Despite the fact that your problem is literally being obese, having too much food, you consider yourself an oppressed class, and as long as you can put yourself within that narrative, you can actually construct a coherent argument around it, and the only thing that stands between you and getting what you want is is acceptance
3: to accommodate different body sizes and types. Number two on the list. Ensure beds with strong support and a higher weight capacity along with providing reinforced chairs and wider bathroom facilities. Number three, make elevators and hallways spacious to allow for easy movement of larger individuals and those utilizing mobility.
0: Okay, so put chairs that don't have arms that you can fold out over it. Make sure the beds can support people's heavy weight. I want to think a lot of places do that there. And then you have to expand the elevators and hallways the only places that don't have expansive, and I'm, I'm actually an expert at this. I stay in a lot of hotels. The only hotels that don't have wide hallways are old buildings because people weren't as fat. That's, that's Number
3: it. four, install grab bars and showers and near
0: toilets. Those Offer adjustable exist.
3: handheld shower heads.
0: Most of those places have like grab bars inside the shower. It's actually very annoying. Um, most Hilton properties do, at least. That's who I normally stay with. But, but it's very annoying. But I think they do that for old people.
3: And raise toilet seats for added accessibility. Number five, train staff can't
0: sit. Raise toilet seats because you can't sit.
3: To be respectful, understanding, and accommodating to travelers of all sizes. Number six, provide pool lifts and handrails at the entry of the pool. This will allow for plus-size guests and guests
0: (laughs) pool lifts. Oh my God. She literally thinks people should get lifted in the pool. And in fact, that does exist in many pools because of the Americans with Disabilities Act.
3: with different abilities to enjoy all amenities. Number seven, hotel restaurants should have roomy seating options and sturdy chairs, ensuring that everybody can dine comfortably. Number eight, offer larger beach and pool seating, provide oversized loungers and seating at the beach and pool areas, allowing travelers of all sizes and abilities to be comfortable. Number nine, hotels should provide size inclusive bathrobes. These should go up to a size six X and beyond. And
0: hot- all right, low key, like the bathrobe I had recently in a hotel I stayed at was was a little on the small side, and it did make me feel a little self conscious. But I didn't care because I don't need a bathrobe, and you don't either. It's called a perk, and it's still and it's still fit
3: hotels should also provide bath sheets or plus size friendly towels so that travelers of all sizes and abilities can use them comfortably and last but not least this is an important one display clear and accurate information on these amenities on hotel websites include weight limits
0: oh god this is the direction we're heading people don't forget that uh this one's a little more on the serious side but i'm just it's gonna worth... say it so he's just gonna say it because i'm just gonna say it Because the ACLU is in court today defending Madison Metropolis School District that allows students to use a different name or different pronoun without being forced to disclose it to their parents. I'm just gonna say it.
5: Fuck parental rights.
0: I can't help but thinking when I watch a video like this, how many of these people are actually victims of abuse? In what other world would you say fuck parental rights? In what other world are the parents the problems, but the but people who, um, but people who, who have something to fear from their uh, who have something to fear from their parents? It doesn't bode well for the country that these people are now forming their own political movement. But that's going to do it for our show today. Do me a favor, go follow me on all social media at the LB Moniz. Like what you heard today go to inawake.com to subscribe for future updates my name is lb muniz and i am not one with the woke